0: Welcome, everyone, to the Rest Podcast, where our goal is to help each and every one of you displace confusion, chaos, and dis-ease in order to heal and find significance in life. I am your host, Natalie Roberts, and I am here with the author of The Reconstitution Method for Healing and Rest, Virginia Dixon. Pastor of First Baptist Church and author of the books Finally Free and The Great Love of God. Heath Lambert shares his providential pilgrimage and a unique encounter that is the definition of finding freedom.
1: So it's just an honor to have you. And we came across your work and wanted our listening audience to be familiar with you, your work, and know what you're about.
2: Well, I appreciate that. I'm glad to be here and grateful for you and happy to talk about whatever you want to talk about.
1: Good. Tell me about your
2: work. That's a big question. Just uh, jump in. Yes. So, you know, when I was, uh, I got saved when I was a freshman in high school. And by the time I was a sophomore in college, I felt that the Lord had called me into ministry. It was kind of funny because everybody who knew me was saying, you need to go into ministry. You need to go into ministry. And I was like, I'm not going into ministry. I have no interest in that. But thanks. Sophomore year of college, I just knew that that in fact was true that the Lord was calling me into ministry. I always thought, that would be as a pastor. I love the the people of God, I love relationships, and so like when I thought about going into ministry, I just thought about like being with Christians and helping them in their walk with Jesus. And so that did start out as pastoral ministry, started out preaching and teaching and discipleship and counseling. And then that led into a job as a seminary professor where I was teaching Christian ministry and biblical counseling. And it was in that area when it was in that ministry when i started writing i never knew that uh, the writing thing is actually the most surprising thing in my in my ministry life i never knew that that was in there but i got i got this phd and they wanted to turn my dissertation into a book and so what was I'm- the
1: topic of that dissertation
2: it's called it's really boring it's called the biblical counseling movement after adams and for some reason the publisher wanted to publish that thing and so they didn't it keeps selling i'll be dipped i don't know why people want to read it but but it uh, but it keeps selling and then after that then zondervan came and they said hey we'd like to do a book together do you have any ideas and um and so i wanted to write this book about pornography i just i saw it I saw this cancer uh, eating away at young guys. I was a seminary professor, Bible college professor. I'm talking to these guys who are in their young twenties. They started looking at porn when they were five years old, six years old, seven years old. Every sexual thought they've ever had in their life is corrupt and messed up and broken and wicked. And there's all these books out there about porn, about how bad it is, about social consequences. And I haven't met anybody yet that needs to be persuaded that it's bad. I'm meeting all kinds of people that need help getting out of it.
1: Destructive, right?
2: That's right. And so they said, we'd love to do that book. So I I wrote that. It's called Finally Free, uh, Fighting for Purity with the Power of God's Grace. Then Zondervan wanted to do another book. So I did another book on counseling. It's called A Theology of Biblical Counseling. And then most recently, I, I wound up through the Lord's providence. I wound up leaving seminary professing again and went, came back to pastoral ministry. And so now I'm the senior pastor at First Baptist Church in Jacksonville, Florida. And over the last three years, I've had six brain surgeries. Just going through that ordeal and, and a lot of transition and difficulties at the church, which is a large church that needed to, to go through some, some changes. And going through all that it was the most difficult time of my life. I grew up in an abusive home, and I found myself in the difficulties at First Baptist as as hard as it was being abused as a kid. Just had me longing for the good old days. Uh, it was just a really, really hard, really, really trying time between the surgery and the ministry thing. But what what you know, I really felt the most after reflecting on it was how. How much of the Lord's love I had experienced. And so, uh, my most recent book with Zondervan is a book called The Great Love of God. Um, I, I say it's the most personal book I, I've ever written. It is, it's a book that's part story about what happened to me, but it's, it's mostly about thinking about and meditating about who God is as the God of great love, how he reveals that to us. Uh, how he, uh, how we are strengthened in his love, how we grow in his love, that's the book I've written that's that's meant the most to me. But that's, you know, that's in five minutes or less, a word or two about my about my ministry.
1: We all have a ministry regardless of how we view God or not, because we're a spirit, right? That's mm-hmm. having a very natural, tangible experience in time. And the consequence of it is what we call the narrative of our lives. It's a matter of fact, I just spoke to Benji from Exodus Cry, and he said, We're having a global, all of us are involved in this thing called a global orgy of sorts because of how widespread and dark pornography has become. Yeah. Unlike drugs that you need more, with porn, you need different, right? Mm-hmm. I'm tracing your pilgrimage here, and you had to look at what was happening in the church and say, wait a minute, this is a time of healing and restructuring, and perhaps we've got to rethink some things, yeah. and I don't know, but maybe you can talk to me about that, because one of the most heartbreaking things I see beyond behind closed doors at rest is people falling away from the church, but not desiring to leave God. A lot of people believe in God and they say some, it comes in. I'm, I'm a very spiritual person. Yeah. Of course I believe in God, but I'm thinking, right. But what does that intimacy look like? And, and just as I take account here of this little story, you just shared with me of your own life. And then by the way, no accident, one, two, three, four, five, six brain surgeries. In the context here of dealing with this enormous challenge that I think the church is facing, and that is healing, looking at itself honestly and Mm -hmm. regrouping perhaps and saying, hey, maybe we got some things wrong. Can you talk about that for a little bit in the context of what I just said?
2: Yeah. So First Baptist Jacksonville is a very large, historically influential (laughs) church in the Southern Baptist Convention. 184 years old. And when I got here, it was still a large church, thousands of people on Sunday, millions of dollars in budget. But what had happened is that throughout the 60s, 70s, and 80s, the church had become this big, sprawling thing, 12 city blocks in downtown Jacksonville. And from about the mid-90s, the church started to to decline, and it went into a 20-year period of decline. And so by the time I got here, it was still a, again a large church, but the the decline in attendance and the decline in giving could no longer sustain all of this infrastructure. So we had to we had to consolidate our property. We had to slim down our staff. We had to change programming because we were doing programming that was reaching middle-aged people in the 80s, but we weren't we weren't reaching now People in the 2020s, and so the the way I said it is, we have, we just have got to shift away from a, a mindset of maintenance of all of these facilities, and we've got to reshift onto ministry in Jesus' name. And how are we going to serve Jesus? And how are we going to serve our community? Because we're, we're sitting around here trying to figure out how to pay tens of millions of dollars in bills, money we don't have. We're not we're not being effective in Jesus' name, and so it was. It was a long journey. In fact, I did a podcast on this. So the podcast is called What Happened at First Baptist? And it just kind of tells the story over eight episodes. And then right in the midst of it, right when I'm going, this church needs me the most, I've like led into this. We got to make some hard decisions. We got to make some tough calls. Uh, and then, right as that's happening, my body starts to just kind of quit on me. I start having uncontrollable spasms, difficulty talking, difficulty chewing, difficulty swallowing. It was a pesky little nerve in in my brain up here that they had to keep going in and and working on. Finally, I'm still a little twitchy, but it, I'm not having at all like anything like the pain and the difficulty I was having before. but it was it was this incredible moment in my life where I thought that the church, was the only thing under construction, but it was also my own heart and soul that God was had under construction, and then my own brain that was just under construction. So God was doing more than I ever imagined, and just, hey, it's not, you think you're gonna focus on these buildings in downtown Jacksonville, but I'm gonna focus on your heart and show you my love. I'm gonna focus on your brain. It, honestly, it almost was like you are not going to be the strong hero of this story. This is going to happen, but you're going to be weak. You're going to be physically weak. You're going to be spiritually weak. You're going to be out for months at a time recuperating. You're going to need help going to the bathroom. You are going to be the weak one that, Hey, I'll, I'll use, but I'm going to get the glory in this story.
1: I listened to you now put this whole thing together for me in one segment because I'd only heard a segment of one of your talks, but now I see why it was so compelling because unprecedented confusion, chaos, and disease is upon us in Mm -hmm. every sphere of government, politics, academics, economics, you name it, right? Global, these global issues. I can't think of a single sphere that is untouched. That's true. Right? Mental health, the medical field, every branch of it. And now I see what you're doing to help heal the hemorrhaging literally reality of what's happening to churches, not just in Jacksonville, but I think all over. And when I hear your story, again, all of those things, one thing built on another thing. Of everything that you have faced in that pilgrimage, what was the most painful, but the most productive and equipping you to deal with a challenge that you're dealing with now that you've been working on
2: so I'll mention a few one and this is one story that I tell in the book about the great love of God, where I was so nervous about this the first brain surgery was in the fall of 2020 and I was just nervous I mean it's not that I wasn't trusting the Lord I knew he was going to care for me but I knew they were going to knock me out and I knew they were going to, I mean, I'm not going to be too graphic, but I knew they were going to drill a hole in the back of my head and then put tools up into my brain. And when I woke up, they said, it's going to hurt. You're going to need a lot of help. You're going to be in intensive care for days. You're not going to be able to do anything by yourself. And so I just was apprehensive about that. I'd memorized uh, Matthew 6 to just like, when I'm getting ready for this thing, when they're wheeling me down the hallway, I just want to be thinking about Matthew six and praying Matthew six. And I go into the hospital, I check in, they park these huge needles up your arm and they do all the horrible things they got to do to get you ready for this kind of surgery. It was, it was, it was COVID. So it was, it was 2020. So the rule at the hospital was my wife could drop me off, but she couldn't be there when I woke up. She couldn't come visit me in the hospital. So I was going to be all alone. And I mean, I'm a big boy, but I didn't get married, so I could go have brain surgery by myself, you know? Uh, and so I had to kiss my wife goodbye. And she I was going to see her when she came to pick me up at the hospital whenever they let me out. And it was sad. I was sad. And so I'm laying on this table, and I'm thinking about Matthew 6, and they pushed me into this huge room. I mean, it was just huge room. It looked like some sort of decision desk on cable news when they're, when they're deciding election. I mean, there was television screens scaling the wall. It was bright. There was, I don't know, there might've been 15 or 20 medical professionals in there. And all of a sudden I realized, God, you love me. Like you say he clothes for the birds of the air and the flowers of the field. Will he not much more care for you? And I'm like, you know, I'm in a state of the art medical facility. All of these people with, I mean, hundreds, thousands of years of experience combined, all of this technology, they are here because you put them here, and you are caring for me. And I'm telling you, I laid on that table, and the last thing I remembered was Jesus loved me. It went black, and uh, but the last thing I remembered thinking about was, Jesus, you really love me. And so it was just this, it was one of the most precious moments of my life to have in this time of scary loneliness when you're apart from your wife and you don't know what it's going to feel like when you wake up and it felt terrible. But to just know that even in the midst of this, Jesus is actively loving me. And I didn't know it then, but that's when I made the decision, I got to write this book. I have to tell people about this because this is just, this is.
1: Hearing you say that, it feels like words, (laughs) but a quote came to me that i heard you say or somebody i don't know but around your book around commentating i think it was a commentator on your book but while you're saying that i'm thinking freedom Mm. freedom freedom Mm. that is true freedom yeah when you have used your liberty to put your decisions of conscience dealing with reality right the function of your soul surrenders everything knowing that You have to have full trust and faith. You want to. And I mean, that is the fullest expression of freedom. But in one of the books or somebody used this quote that freedom is having full access, but no desire. So here you are in this situation. And I just think it didn't just, I know, I I think I heard it on a commentary about your book, about pornography, right? Mm -hmm. Full access, but no desire. It just struck me while you were telling the story here is you had full access to complain, to feel fearful, honestly, dread what's happening in the church. What's all the responsibilities, the weight of the world that you had on you, but you had... Zero desire for anything than to abide in that moment and remember that it's God that rules and overrules in the lives of men and nations, and that he in that very moment was paying attention to you and he was in that room with you. That's just the definition of freedom, right? Mm -hmm. So that quote impacted me so deeply because rest is about helping people step into freedom. Yeah. And regardless of what situation you find yourself in and what you're dealing with, it's really comes from abiding, reconciling the conflicts within yourself and just receiving what that moment is bringing for you. And that's what sustained you to feel the love of God. It's no different than being alone in a room with TV monitors or a phone in hand, or somebody that you really think is attractive, right? Mm -hmm. With these competing realities. But if you can just abide and surrender to the immense provision that God makes for all of us, and that provision is the power to choose and desire where you'll set your mind.
2: Yeah, it's, yeah, and whether you are, feeling frightened in an operating room, whether you're feeling tempted with a cell phone in your hand, getting ready to look at pornography, whether wh- whether you are tempted to pop off at your husband in an argument and be sinfully angry. It's, it's all about whether in the moment, will I follow my passions and my fears and my desires, or will I trust the Lord to be enough for me?
1: And I, I just love your story, but I'll tell you, I think the thing that equips you to speak about that with so much conviction are all the tough decisions you made in the transitions that you've experienced in your whole career. Mm. To go from being a pastor to go to a seminary student to say, hey, wait a minute, I'm feeling prompted, compelled to write. I mean, this isn't a fun theme you chose to write about. No it's a controversial subject
2: very much. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: And one that honestly pastors aren't taking on, and I don't see a lot of churches taking on like we've needed to. I saw a lot of cover hiding and blaming and a lot of dodging, but I didn't hear until recently, you know, too many people in the last 30 years, too many institutions taking that topic on. And then to go back and come back and be brought into the church to me, what I leave with and maybe what I find most compelling about you is the discipline of abiding, Mm -hmm. of listening and hearing the voice of God, perhaps take you off the course, perhaps that you'd intended for yourself, but you experienced God in very intimate and personal ways in those places. I'm just moved by what you said that you experienced in that hospital room right as you were going into surgery during one of the darkest times in our his, nation's history, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah, it's it's true. by an
1: epidemic, but it's really about abiding, yeah. about having a lot of different options, of feelings and things that are assaulting or attacking you. But you chose to just abide,
2: well, and you know, in the, it, that freedom. In that same vein, I don't share this very often. But back when I was writing "Finally Free," I was just in a difficult period of writing. It just was—I was trying to wrestle this whole thing to the ground and get it organized. And I knew what I wanted to say, but not quite how I wanted to say it. And uh, I had—I was traveling a lot for ministry back then, and there were three times in a row, three weeks in a row, when I had to leave town and I would get on a plane and I'd be off by myself and I'd go speak at this thing or go to these meetings, but then I'd be by myself. And three times in a row, three times out of town, there were these extraordinary situations where opportunities for infidelity presented themselves. I mean, I I would explain it, but it'd be embarrassing. I mean, three extraordinary, I mean, not normal, highly unusual situations. The first time I I called my accountability partner, my buddy, and I was like, hey, listen, I want to let you know I'm in this hallway in this hotel room and here's what's happening. He could hear the woman. I was trying to get into the hotel room and I went in, shut the door, and there was that. Then it happened the second time, the third time. And my accountability buddies, uh, the the three or four guys that I just, they have access to all my life. After the third time, they were like, Heath, we are forced to conclude. Th- these are so strange and this is so weird. We are forced to conclude that you are under some sort of satanic assault because of this book you're working on. Yeah. Yeah. And it was just, it was one of those moments where I really did, you know, you're talking about abiding and, and honestly there, it felt like rescue. It felt like the Lord, Hey, here's this job. Here's this thing that's attracting spiritual attention. And I can't back out. I can't say, well, I'm going to not write the book, but it felt like the Lord preserving me and rescuing me from difficulties that were unique to taking on a topic that was as difficult as this one is.
1: I'd like to pick that up in this next short segment. Okay. I want you to talk about that book. Okay. Because in concluding this segment, I want our listening audience to perhaps look at the narrative of their own lives a little bit differently.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Life is messy. Mm-hmm. Relationships are sloppy.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Careers are challenging. These decisions we make These life decisions we make to transition from one thing to another, they can destabilize us so much that at any point we want to quit, turn around and think we made a mess of things and just surrender Mm -hmm. outcomes to whatever and just go golf or just go take a menial job or settle when in fact, I think the spine of your story is how all these transitions really prepared you for the significant next thing that was coming in your life. Thank right. you so much for joining me for this segment. Well, if you can stay on a little bit, we'll pick up finally free.
2: Sure.
0: To get in touch with Heath Lambert or attend First Baptist Church, go to FBCJAX.com. Again, that is FBCJAX.com. You can also listen to Pastor Lambert's two podcasts. First Preaching and Marked by Grace. For updates about rest and this podcast, please visit our Instagram or Facebook, The Place of Rest. If you'd like more information about Virginia or to support and join the cause of rest, please go to theplaceofrest.com forward slash donate or call 949-289-5935. Thank you for listening to Rest with Virginia Dixon. We'll see you next week.